Early on in the life of our church, our pastoral team set aside a year to intensively study the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, specifically to examine the life of Jesus. And over the course of that year, there was study, there was research, there was reading, there were discussions. And the conclusion that the team came to at the end of that year, I believe, is something that would be shocking for most people in North America. Because after studying the life of Jesus for a year, here's what the team realized. That when Jesus was on the earth, his life did not revolve around a religious system. It did not revolve around a list of things you do and a list of things you don't do. And it did not revolve around a set of rules and regulations. Now, in, in our culture, we often associate Christianity with religion. But that's because we've complicated God's design. As we look at the pages of Scripture, it is clear that the life of Jesus on earth did not revolve around religion. It revolved around relationships. That's why at Hope you'll hear us often say, Christianity is not a religion. Christianity is a relationship. As we look at the life of Jesus, we see when he was on earth, his life primarily revolved around three relationships. First and foremost, his life revolved around an intimate, abiding love relationship with God. Jesus lived moment by moment in dependence on his heavenly father. Jesus himself even said, what you see me doing, it's not my work. It's the Father's work through me. In the past couple of weeks, we've given you a key word to help us all remember the importance of this relationship with God. And here's the key word. Abide. We are to live our lives in an abiding love relationship with our Heavenly Father. Another relationship that Jesus' life revolved around was his relationship to his disciples. Jesus lived in community. He lived life connected with other believers. We've also given you a key word to help us remember this relationship. It's the word connect. Connect in community to help us remember our relationship with one another. And the third relationship that was a priority in Jesus' life and should be a priority in our life is a relationship with the world. Jesus Christ lived on mission, sensitive to God's activity, looking at how he could engage in God's global activity to see his kingdom expanded to the ends of the earth. Here's the key word that we've talked about to help us remember this relationship. It's the word share. We are to share in the mission of Christ, looking for ways to engage in God's activity. Jesus' life on earth 
could be summarized with abide, connect, and share. And if that is what his life looked like when he was on the earth, then that is exactly what it's going to look like as it is pressed out through you and I on a daily basis. Our lives are to revolve around an intimate love relationship with God, connection with the family of God, and living on mission in a relationship with the world. If you're visiting with us, we are currently in a seven-part series called The Life of a Jesus Follower. And in this series, every week we've looked at a life-changing reality that I want to put back up on the screen for us again this weekend. Here's the reality. The life of a Jesus follower is all about relationships. It's all about those three relationships. It's not about my performance. It's not about religion. It's not about how much I measure up. It is all about those three relationships. And in this series, we've taken a couple weeks to really unpack each relationship. And last weekend, Pastor Vance introduced us to our relationship with one another. And he gave us some biblical principles to help us understand that because we have a relationship with God, we also have a relationship with God's family. So this weekend, we're going to take that conversation a step further. And here's the question I want us all to really wrestle with in our time together this morning. Why is community important. Why is community important? It's one thing for us to know the lingo and what to say if someone asks us, but really and truly, why is community necessary for you and for me? So if you take your Bible and turn to Acts chapter 2, we're going to look at some of the same scripture that we were unpacking last weekend. And in just a moment, I want to read starting in verse 42. The scripture we're going to read in just a moment took place about 2,000 years ago. And it happened on a day that we have come to refer to as the day of Pentecost. And here's what happened on that day. The gospel was proclaimed in Jerusalem and 3,000 people were saved. And those people began being baptized. The disciples were empowered as leaders. The religious leaders were frustrated because they didn't understand what was happening. But something else very, very significant happened on this day. A community was born. So I want us to start reading in Acts 2 verse 42 to really get a picture of what this community looked like. And if you don't have a Bible this morning, we're going to put these words on the screen so that you can follow along with us. Here's what the Bible says. In Acts 2, verse 42, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders, and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. 
praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. In this scripture, we see a picture of community in its purest form. This wasn't a system. This wasn't a perfect structure. It was the church being the church living in community. I want to give you a defining statement that is really how we view community here at Hope. Community is not what we do as a church. Community is who we are as a church. You see, we are a community of faith called to know Him and to make Him known. It's not something we program. It's not something that is totally point by point. It's us being a community of faith. Now, in North America, we have a huge obstacle for this. Because we live in such an individualistic society, we drift towards the mindset that says, I can do everything by myself. I'm enough. I'm good enough. I'm strong enough. I'm wise enough. And that is creeped over into the way we view church. For many people, they assume that they can come to a weekend experience once a week and that is sufficient for their relationship with God's family. But the New Testament knows nothing of a Christianity without community. You see, our country has swung to the side of saying that God said community is necessary, but we're going to make it optional. But listen, we're wrong. We're wrong. We are called to live our lives in community. For the early church, it was all they knew. They lived out their relationship with God in fellowship with other believers. It was expressed in two ways. Large group in the temple courts, small group, house to house. And every generation since Acts chapter 2 that has lived out biblical community has followed that exact same pattern. So this morning, to unpack this text, I want us to look at three reasons we need community. And when I say we this morning, I mean the pastors need community. I mean those in the room who are spiritually mature, you need community. Those who are maybe not so far along in the faith, you need community. Three reasons all of us need community in our lives. And here's the first reason. We need others to grow in intimacy with God. We need other people to grow in intimacy with God. In verse 42 of this text, the Bible uses the words, word devoting. The word devoting there means to hold on to something. It means to continue in or to be steadfast. Well, what does it say that they were holding on to? Well, it says four things. It says, sitting under the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking bread, and prayer. You see, one of the results of the early church living in community was spiritual growth. As a result of these believers living life together, they were growing spiritually. In the early church, it was their relationship with God that had brought them into a relationship with each other 
And it was their relationship with each other that was deepening their relationship with God. Here's the principle. There are things about God you will never know or understand apart from fellowship with other believers. You see, God uses other people to reveal aspects to him of himself that we would never discover otherwise. And every relationship that is in your life can be used to grow your relationship with God. Look at this statement on the screen. God can use all the relationships in my life to deepen my intimacy with him. Now notice, it says all. It doesn't say some. It doesn't say most. It doesn't say the best. It says all. And every person in the room today, as you think about your relationship with God's family, there are two circles. One circle is healthy relationships. All of us have healthy relationships. These relationships are characterized by love and honesty and a servant attitude, humility, uh, no unresolved conflict. You can probably think about some healthy relationships in your life right now. And God uses those people to help speak truth into our life. And their relationship with God is a huge encouragement for our relationship with God. Healthy relationships. But there's actually another circle of relationships that all of us have. Not only healthy relationships, but unhealthy relationships. And just as much as God wants to use healthy relationships to help grow our relationship with Him, He also wants to use the unhealthy relationships that you and I have in order to grow our relationship with God. Even as you hear that phrase, you can probably think about some unhealthy relationships that you have right now. And as a result of sin or conflict or a misunderstanding or a schedule or a diff difficult circumstance, the relationship is just not healthy. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Travis, there's no way. God can use that relationship to deepen my relationship with him. You don't even know what they did to me. That human may be the most selfish and prideful human on the planet. You may think that. But before you go too far down that road, I want to read you a statement that I think really formulates what we're trying to understand this morning when we think about unhealthy relationships being used to grow our relationship with God. Look at this statement by Roy Hessian. He says again and again, we see that the thing in us that reacts so sharply to another's selfishness and pride is simply our own selfishness and pride which we are unwilling to sacrifice. That does not mean that we must accept another selfishness as God's will for them. Far from it. But only as God's will for us. Every relationship in your life was placed in your life by God. 
And though God does not lead a person to sin or to conflict, he is big enough that he can even use your interaction with those unhealthy relationships in order to grow your relationship with him. Now we understand that in a relationship, there are things that you and I can and cannot control. And there is a limit to what we can do to bring about restoration. But no matter how unhealthy the relationship, we must lay over it the principle of Romans 12, 18, which says, if possible, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Now, you may be here today, and there's some unhealthy relationships in your life. And you know in your heart of hearts that you've done everything you can do to try to bring that relationship back to a place of reconciliation. And if you can honestly say that this morning, then here's your role. Wait and pray. You pray for an opportunity. You pray for that person, for God to break their heart and to restore that relationship. But I would imagine there are many people here this morning and you have some unhealthy relationships but you've not done everything you can do to try to make that relationship right. Over the past couple of weeks, I was exposed to a relationship with a family that was unhealthy in my life. And I knew I needed to make it right. Now, my flesh was telling me, Travis, don't go apologize. Travis, you didn't even do anything wrong. Travis, don't be the bigger person. Wait for them to become broken and come to you. But wisdom laid in Romans 12 told me, no, I need to do everything I can do to make this relationship right. So I went and set up the meeting to meet with the family. And I'll be honest with you, I didn't want to go. It was awkward. It was tough. But I recognized this. The world is too lost. And the mission is is too urgent for the family of God to be in conflict with one another. And I don't know what your circumstances look like, but I think when you hold it up to the light of the lostness of the world and the urgency of the mission, there's nothing that you can't do to say, you know what, I want to approach them in humility and just say, is there anything I can do to try to make this relationship right? Because you see, God does desire the reconciliation of that relationship. But in the process of that relationship being made right, he's going to do a lot in your heart. I assure you, as I approached that family, it was a difficult couple days. And God did some stuff in me that he wouldn't do otherwise because I had to embrace the humility to go to them and say, You are my brother and sister in Christ, and I am sorry for anything I've ever done. And God used even that unhealthy relationship to grow my relationship with him. Because if you're here today and, and God has made you aware of an unhealthy relationship and you're still saying, I'm not going to apologize. Listen, if you are unwilling to pursue rightness in a relationship with someone in God's family, it really says more about your attitude towards God than it does about your attitude towards that brother or sister in Christ. Because as we learned last week, it's impossible to be right with God and not be pursuing rightness in our relationship with others. Roy Hessian went on to say this, It is no use pretending we are broken before God if we are not broken in our attitude towards those around us. 
God nearly always tests us through other people. God can use all the relationships in your life and in my life to grow our relationship with him. One more verse that really speaks to this principle. It's on your listening guide, and it's actually our memory verse for this week. It's Proverbs 27, 17. It says this, Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. One of the reasons we all need community is because we need others to grow in our relationship with God. Here's a second reason that we need community. We need others to walk through the ups and downs of life. We need other people to walk through the ups and the downs of life. All of us know what it is to walk through moments of excitement and celebration. And all of us know what it is to walk through moments of sorrow and pain. All of us know what it is to be in need. Here's what that looked like in the early church. Look at verse 44 in Acts chapter 2. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing with them all as anyone might have need. Here's what that looked like. They were gathering in large groups, small group, temple courts, house to house. And all of a sudden, a need arose in the community of faith. And when they became aware of the need, here's what they didn't do. They didn't say, well, good luck figuring it out. They didn't say, I hope you find the resources to meet that need. They didn't even say, hey, I'll pray that your need gets met. Here's what they did. If someone had a need for clothing, the other believers went to their possessions and said, okay, I can give you this and this and this to help meet your need for clothing. If it was financial, the believers went to their possessions and said, what can I sell in order to gain resources to help meet this need in the community of faith? That's beautiful. Now, we have drifted so far from that in our culture where we think what's yours is yours and what's mine is mine. But this model of community that began in the early church is a description of genuine and sacrificial love. It was the church being the church. You see, God gave us a spiritual family. And one of the reasons that we have a spiritual family is to walk through the ups and the downs of life. He gave us a family to care for one another. The Bible doesn't say that all the needs that arose were, were met by the pastors. No, it said when a need arose, arises, that the community of faith is to come around those believers and walk with them. The Bible refers to this as the one another relationship. Over 50 times in the New Testament, the Bible refers to our relationship with one another. Here's an example in John 13, 35. The Bible says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. Here's the powerful thing about that verse. 
Jesus says, in the midst of religion and spiritual language, here's how you're going to know who my disciples are. Watch the way they love each other. That's the defining mark of a believer. If you can't tell who's a Jesus follower and who's not, watch the way they love each other because that's the defining mark of one of my disciples. It's powerful. The Bible says we are to encourage one another, admonish one another, pray for one another, forgive one another. We have a responsibility to the body of Christ. So I want to ask you two evaluation questions. And I don't want you to answer out loud, but we'll just kind of help you process through in this area of your life, what does it or does it not look like? Here's the first question. Am I meeting needs within the body of Christ? Are you currently meeting needs as you evaluate your connection in this faith family? Can you honestly say you are caring for other people in this family of faith? Because here's the reality. I assure you, when you walk through a storm, when you walk through a difficult circumstance, you are going to want people around you to help carry the load. And here's what I know. In this room right now, there are some people who are walking through a tragedy. They are in need right now. They're in the middle of the storm. I hear stories every week of people in the middle of this community of faith who are struggling. And guess what? They don't need another sermon. They need brothers and sisters in Christ with genuine and sacrificial love to come around them and walk through those valleys of life. But as you think about your responsibility to this body, can you say that you're meeting needs? The Bible says it this way in Galatians 2. It says, bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Here's the picture. Someone has something extremely heavy on their shoulders that is weighing them down. And others come over and help share the load of that weight. That's the picture of bearing one another's burdens. And the Bible says that's what we're supposed to do as a community of faith. That's supposed to be normal for us in our relationship with God's family. But the question is, is that happening in your life? Here's a second evaluation question. Am I using my gifts to serve the body of Christ? Not only are are we caring, but secondly, are we serving? It's what the Bible says in 1 Peter 4. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint, as each one has received a special gift. Employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Every believer has been grace gifted by God with a spiritual gift. And that gift is to be used to strengthen and serve the body 
of Christ. And here's what I love about the picture in Acts 2. These believers weren't waiting back until someone walked over and tapped them on the shoulder and said, Hey, can you help? These believers had a readiness, an excitement. They were looking for an opportunity to use the gifts and abilities God had given them to serve the family of faith. So here would be my challenge today. If you're here and you would say, I'm not using my gifts in any way, shape, or form to serve this body. I want to challenge you to start doing that. Listen, we have a church full of gifts and potential and people who can make a difference all over the city and in this family of faith. But in most cases, we'll hear people say, well, they don't need my help. Listen, I'm telling you, we need your help. A lot of the men mostly will say, well, you know, I'm going to wait until somebody asks me to serve. Hey, I'm asking. There should be no excuse that hinder you from using the gift that God's given you. Not just that you were born with, but when you became a believer, God gave it to you. Listen, that gift can make a difference in this body. But for most of us, we walk in, we walk out, we get back in our car, we go back to our rhythm of life, living in isolation, and we miss the beautiful opportunity we have. Not just to help at church but to leverage your gift to serve this body. The question is, are you? Here's the way the Bible says it. It says that employ that gift to serve one another. Some of us need to begin today to find a place we can employ, put into action the gift God has given us to serve this body. We need others to grow in our relationship with God. We need others to walk through the ups and the downs of life. And here's a third reason that we need community. We need others to accomplish the mission. We need other people to accomplish the mission. Here's what it, it looked like in Acts chapter 2. Day by day. Continuing with one mind in the temple and from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. I love the phrase in verse 46. It says one mind. That means a unified purpose. These believers recognized that they existed for something bigger than themselves. In all four of the Gospels and the book of Acts, every time the Great Commission is given, it is given to a community. It's never given to one person. It is always given to a community of believers. It's given to the church. Last weekend, Pastor Vance gave us a definition of the church. I want to give it to you again this weekend. A church is a local community of baptized Jesus followers uniting together to share in the mission of Christ. And the reality is if you are not connected in community, you are not engaging in the mission to the level that you could 
if you were walking through it with another, another group of believers who were sharing in it with you. We can only accomplish the mission together. And the result of community is always mission. And if the kingdom of God is not being expanded in your local community, then you are not fulfilling biblically what God has called us to in his word. You see, as missional communities, we're to have an intentionality and a sensitivity to what God is telling us and how he wants to use us to engage the world. Alan Hurst said this, God's church doesn't have a mission in the world. God's mission in the world has a church. The only way we can accomplish the mission is together. And at Hope, we believe the most effective way for these principles to be fleshed out is in the context of a small group. We're thankful for the weekend gathering. We're thankful for the large group. God does great things through a large group gathering, but we believe life change happens best in the context of community to the point that we would say if you only have one hour a week that you can give, one hour, don't come to large group. Get in a small group. Now, don't hear me wrong. We want you at the weekend experience. But if things are so heavy for you right now that you only have one hour a week to give, give it to your small group so that you can grow spiritually. You can care for others and serve the body. And you can engage in the mission. In most cases, when we come to a time like this where we really have to apply it, it's tough. So I want to give you a summary statement just to make it very, very clear. You need us. And we need you. That's the truth. You need us, but we also need you. And in many circumstances, there are normally two big excuses that people have as to why they would not want to really connect in a small group community. One of the reasons people will say is, well, my situation's different. I understand that for a lot of the people in the church, but my situation is very, very different. Well, I agree with you. Your situation is unique. And that's why we don't just have one way that small groups flesh out here at our church. We have groups that meet weekly. We have groups that meet bi-weekly. Groups that study straight through the book of the Bible. Groups that use curriculum. Groups that meet in homes. Groups that meet in restaurants. It can look different, but the principles stay the same. Another excuse that people have is that their schedule is just, it's just too hectic. There's too many things going on in my life, and I understand that. And it may not be that your schedule will allow you to meet every Tuesday night in a small group. But if you are living your life right now, and you do not have a community of believers around you that you are living life with, you are doing more than God intends you to do. The model of community we have from the New Testament says, if we are really going to accomplish what God wants us to accomplish, we must do it together. God's design is not for you and I to live our lives in isolation. 
It's for us to live our lives in community. And that is why these principles, that's why our relationship with one another is so, so important.